0: This is episode 14 of Parenting 2.0, The Focused Mindset. Today, you get to listen in to a conversation that I had with Dr. Trevor Dietrich. He's going to show us how we can bring the seven habits of highly effective people into our families and teach it to our kids.
1: A family is not a collective sum of its parts. A family is synergy. It's be- every- everybody is better off because I'm in this family.
0: You've been upgraded to Parenting 2.0. New expectations requires a new mindset, the focused mindset. I'm Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. Raising kids is an amazing journey and things don't always turn out as planned. Still, you get to share your life with an adult in training. This podcast will help you meet every new challenge with confidence and be the best version of yourself in your home and with the people you love. Today, we have a special guest here, Dr. Trevor Dietrich, and he's a principal longtime friend, and I feel very privileged to have him here thanks for having me. Well tell us a little bit first of all about how you became interested in the seven habits in the first place.
1: I mean to to be fair I never embarked on a journey to find a new passion uh, in education uh, but that's what happened along the way. I was finishing being the principal at John Adams Elementary in Corona and I was told by the superintendent that I would be moving uh, to McKinley Elementary and at the time I was um, replacing a, a principal who had was had been relatively ineffective. I was charged with improving school morale and culture. Uh, immediately, um, there was there had been many many union issues there. The um, HR had spent countless hours mediating uh, various things at the school, and so that was my that's what I was taking over. Uh, and then just before that, the the summer before that, I got to attend the elementary principals Con- conference in Baltimore, Maryland, where I went to a breakout session. somebody presented the leader in me and i sat there almost with my with my mouth agape just imagining what this process could do i went immediately down to the vendor fair and found the leader in me booth and they gave me a book and rather than attending the next breakout session i went back to my hotel room and i read i think i think i got through the first three chapters in the 90 minutes that would have been um the breakout session And just thought, man, if there's any possible way that I can do something like this, lead something like this, um, it's just the right thing to do for kids. Um, But, you know, I was in a a tricky place. When you're a a principal coming into a school, it's very hard to just step in and say this is what we're going to do because then it becomes like your thing, uh, your process, you you, you, you struggle with the buy-in a little bit. So I was cognizant of all that. You know, fast forward a little bit to the end of the summer. I got to meet with a a leadership team at McKinley uh, just before the school year started. And one of the topics was, I just threw it out. I showed them a little bit about what it was. And luckily enough, a couple of the teachers that were on that leadership team had had training in the seven habits years ago. Um, And so, and and they had this training and they remembered it fondly. Right, so immediately I had a spark and I had some buy-in, and the 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 interest level and the buy-in was immediate. In fact, I had teachers start teaching the Seven Habits right away, just from googling it, from Pinterest, from Teachers Pay Teachers. They found resources and started teaching it right away without without a single day of training.
0: It's kind of at that point they were hungry for something, and it was the it was the right tool, and they felt it as well.
1: the The circumstance couldn't have been better. Because the teachers did recognize uh, collectively their part and where they were, and they didn't like it either. Right. So they they were looking looking for something new. McKinley didn't have an identity, um, and being we were the we were going to be and became the first leader in me school uh, in the district and even in the Inland Empire uh, countywide. and so it, it, it gave us a point of pride. So we arranged for training. You, you learn the seven habits and that's where the power is. What we learned uh, was really paradigm shifting. And that simply was this, that we truly believe that every kid can be a leader because you have to first lead yourself.
0: Okay. And then you
1: have yourself and how you work with others. So it's not, it, it changes the definition of leadership a little bit, right? We, we weren't expecting every kid was going to be the captain of, of, the, of their sports team or the CEO of a company someday. That's not what the leadership is about. Leadership is about self-governance, right? And be, being the best that you can be on your own and when working with others. And that's what the habit springs.
0: You approach it in a completely different way because everyone is a leader. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. And the, and the best part about it is it's not just something that we say or even believe. We can believe it to our core. Right. But by teaching the habits, by embracing this ubiquitous approach, um, that's how we did it. Right. We taught the kids how to be leaders, how to lead themselves. It wasn't like we just told them they were like we actually gave them the skills, the habits to do it. And that's that's where we start, started seeing the power. I mean, I get, the stories that, I, that I'll share about what how kids changed were amazing. So there's two there's actually I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak here. There are actually two um, foundational underpinnings to the leadering process, this idea that all kids can be leadered. The seven habits is one, and the four disciplines of execution, which is actually written or co-written by Sean Covey, Stephen Covey's son, uh, is the other foundational underpinning. That's how we connect uh, the leadership theme to the academic program, because we teach kids how to set goals and all that. Well, there are actually several versions of uh, the seven habits. You have the the original seven habits for highly effective people. You have, uh, and then Stephen Covey also wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families.
0: Oh, that's, an, that's a powerful one.
1: Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's the same habits. There's just different stories to illustrate them and different suggestions on how to um, kind of embrace and implement them in your life. And then Sean Covey, Stephen's son, wrote uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. And then they've also written books now for elementary age, Seven Habits of Healthy Kids.
0: That particular one is powerful because it gives parents little vignettes of things that they can do in their home. And that's transformational to many parents because they don't ever stop and think that leadership can be taught.
1: So there is there is that, you know, the age-old argument. Is it something you're born with or is it something you, that you learn? And I think it's both. Um, certainly, certain kids are more naturally charismatic, and others are drawn to them, right? And that's kind of what we look at as leadership. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're leading in the right way, right? Or or, or are effective in what they're doing. Um, so by by teaching everybody the habits, everybody has the opportunity to work on what they call primary greatness—the the, your core uh, character ethic. And that's what we work on. It's different than secondary greatness. Secondary greatness would be that position of leadership, the captain of the team, the CEO of the company. If you spend time working on primary greatness, often the secondary greatness comes. Okay. Just strive for the secondary greatness. It's um, it's empty and it's fleeting. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does. How do you help someone kind of discover that about themselves?
1: The key is the, is the seven habits of highly effective people. Okay. That that it is, you know, there's, there's kind of two parts to the, to the seven habits. You have the, the private victory and the public victory. The, the private victory is how I lead myself. The public victory is how I lead myself when working with others, right? So the primary victory, um, which is habits one, two, and three. Habit one, be proactive. Habit two: um, Begin with the end in mind. And habit three: Put first things first. You don't need other people in your life to do those things, and that is kind of the core the habit. the The private victory, the first three habits, are really the roots. Right? It's the it's the stuff that's under underground that's not visible necessarily, but it's what anchors us and makes us strong in any circumstance. Right? Uh, the the public victory habits four, five, and six. Habit four: Think win win. Habit five: Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And habit six, synergize. These are the habits that are a little bit more visible. Certainly these are 21st century skills. You know, we're teaching kids uh, and preparing them for jobs that don't exist, right? That's the challenge that we're in in the world that we live in. But we know one thing about the job that they will have is that it won't be in isolation. They will have to have the skills to work with other people. And that's what the public victory is. So when you talk about primary graces, it's both. It's working on your core ethic and and your moral fiber. And that's what we do with those first three uh, habits. And then... The the second three habits are 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 a little bit more external about how we work with other people. It's visible. um, And that combined then would be how you're working on primary greatness.
0: I want to dig in more uh, with each and every habit. First of all, I want to give a little picture of the difference between McKinley. I mean, I was a, a... I was completely new to, I never heard of the seven habits in, in, as it pertained to working with elementary students. And I was assigned to your school as a counselor. And all I remembered McKinley as is a very plain school. It hadn't really been updated, painted. But when I walked in the second time, immediately I was welcomed with the seven habits, right? Even before I came inside, they were lining the sidewalk. And as I walked into the gate, I could see each habit along the pillar of the the walkway, which completely transformed this, what used to be a dark walkway. And then I walked into a brand new, it felt like a brand new place that had, uh, uh, murals and just street signs that had, uh, positive things on it. And it was—it blew my mind, just even the, the atmosphere in the place. And then it continued with me meeting the kids and seeing how the kids stepped up to the plate. How did you, how did you make that transformation there in that school to feel so different?
1: I think one of the keys was it did give us an identity. Right. Being first to something was kind of cool. Right. We we're the first in the empire and so forth. Uh, then as we started to learn about it, it would just, man, this is just the absolutely the right thing to do for kids. Right. I mean, Common Core came along and we were charged with preparing kids for college and career. We've always done that. So what changed mm-hmm. when we were charged with preparing kids for college and career? Well, a lot of places probably couldn't answer that but at mckinley we could answer definitively we've prepared these kids for college career or any future endeavor by giving them the habits these habits of effectiveness and, and teaching them mm-hmm. i think when you talk about like the environment and, and the feel uh at, at mckinley part of it is is that idea of the ubiquitous approach that i talked about right so so, so often many character development programs that are at schools are just that—they're just a program, and so it's literally a part of the day where we stop, and now we're going to teach um, a certain characteristic or skill, life skill, or something like that. And then that lesson is over, and so is the learning, right? unfortunately. But with with the leader in me, and in, in particular the Seven Habits, it's ubiquitous. So we make sure we focus on it being somewhere and everywhere right? So somewhere, we still have specific lessons where we teach the habits. That's the somewhere. But the everywhere is what made the program different than anything else. And what what changed and and, and that vibe that you felt, um, the difference, that's the everywhere approach. Everywhere meaning you see it. So you saw the habits posted everywhere. You saw leadership quotes posted everywhere. You saw students in leadership roles running the school. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry.
0: I said, yes, I absolutely did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got to the point where I didn't, as the principal, I rarely spoke on a microphone in front of people because I had kids doing it. Kids led our awards assemblies and, and told parents what the award was given for, called all the kids uh, up for their award, handed them the certificates, shook their hands, lined them up. Uh, we had a leadership, annual leadership day where kids gave speeches and taught the public the habits, told them about all the different things that were going on at McKinley that made us special and unique. In fact, twice, we presented at the school board. First, when we first started, I had students teach the school board the seven habits, and then six years later, we, we were recognized as uh, being a leader, me lighthouse school, which in, is an elevated status, it's kind of prove you have to go through a process to prove that you truly have all of the components deeply embedded within the, the uh, cultural fabric of the school. And so when we got that, that's national recognition for what we were doing. So we went back to the school board to brag a little bit and the kids (laughs) went back. And some of them, you know, I had a, the first time I had a, a TK student was the first one who stood up at a microphone in front of the school board, pulled the mic down, you know, and said, Dr. Lynn cabinet, school board members, thank you for this opportunity for us to share what's going on at McKinley. Wow. Five years, four or five years old. I don't remember the age. But what was neat when we went back—that same, some of the same students that have now grown, gave, got to give speeches again. It was the only time, my, and to my understanding, the school board has ever given a standing ovation to a presentation.
0: They did. Yeah. Do you see the looks on their faces when, as they watch this?
1: Yeah, it's their 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 mouths drop. Like giving kids a, an opportunity to to public speak is one thing teaching them and working with them on their public speaking skills so they can improve. Like we teach anything, why can't we teach public speaking in kindergarten, right? And, and we did, and, I, and I, work, I work with these kids on eye contact, on gestures, on pace, on, on volume. And they got really, really good to the point when you would hear them speak, it was, you couldn't help but be impressed. I mean, it was just, it was, it was
0: amazing. And were parents at that meeting as well? Oh yeah. Oh, I can imagine they were probably so proud. They're probably like beaming from ear to ear, seeing something like that. Yeah, and
1: then then it happens every every year at Leadership Day where we we just give kids the opportunity for public speaking. And so that's just one part of it. Again, leadership, that's just one part of it. Is every kid at McKinley an accomplished public speaker? No, no. We have public speaking leaders, right? But what every kid at McKinley has is genius. It's just our job to find it. We can't keep comparing kids to the genius of, of, of academics, right? Because they don't have that genius, right? And that's what the leader me also helps to do. It helps to embrace, I mean, we haven't even gotten into it, but the eighth habit is find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. And your voice is your place of leadership. It's when you're passionate about something, you're talented at that something, and that something adds value to the world, right? When those things converge, that's your voice and your place of leadership. And it's our job to encourage it in others to find theirs, right? Covey says leader, leadership is communicating a, per, a person's worth and potential so clearly that they're inspired to see it in themselves, right? Well, we do that with five-year-olds and uh, six-year-olds and the 12-year-old sixth graders, who, and we still do it with them, right? Um, and so when you talk about the habits, it's not just that we teach them, right? When kids are reading from uh, their literature book about a story, they might discuss what habits the characters displayed. And had they displayed a different habit, or one of the habits, how might the story have changed? They look at, in history, they'll look at historical events or or you know characters of our past, and talk about what habits they displayed, and how being proactive, or, or thinking win-win, and, and coming up with win-win agreements, how that impacted history. Of course, it becomes the language that we use with kids
0: my hope is that parents will really start to embrace how they can help their kids be leaders. And I don't think there's a lot of resources out there for parents. Yeah, I've never met a parent that if you ask them, hey, do you want your child to be a leader? Of course, they're going to be like, well, yes. Do you want them to have a great job and, and have the best opportunities when they, they're going to say, yes, yes, yes. How are they going to do that? As we go through each of these habits, tell us about a scenario of what you would tell a parent of how they might implement this habit in their home. Let's talk about these habits and go through them.
1: Be proactive, a one, be proactive is foundational to all of them, right? So, um, kid language, I'm in charge of me, right? Okay. That's what proactive is. There are four highly effective practices that go along with the habit, be proactive, right? One of them is that we pause between stimulus and response to choose our responses. Okay, um, so you talk about parents modeling leadership, it's, a, it's almost like doing um, like metacognition and a think aloud for your kids, right? So stimulus and response, something happens to you and you respond. We have, a, There's a uniquely human characteristic, which is the time and space between those two things, the stimulus and response, where we get to choose our response. And we need to stop choosing based on the emotion of the moment, but choose uh, based on our character, and choose based on the fact that our kids are watching, right? So if someone cuts you off in the car, what do you do? Or, or, or with any stimulus, if something makes you mad, like the best learning opportunity for parents with their kids is truly when, when their kids see that something has made them mad. And if a parent at that point can say, you know what? I'm And literally say these words to their kids. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to stop here and, and choose my response before I respond. Right? Just by saying those words, you've already kind of calmed yourself down, and you're going to be able to do it, do it a little bit uh, better. But uh, using the words uh, think aloud, if you will, while you're going through that, that's how kid, parents can model leadership for their kids, and that's how kids are going to learn what does it truly mean to be proactive. So that's the first highly effective practice. Now, another one is to act in your circle of influence, not your circle of concern. Right. So your circle of influence are things that you can control and your circle of, of concerns are things that might, you might be worried about, but you ultimately have no control over. Right. I mean, in our current circumstance with with the COVID-19 closures and all that stuff, there are a lot of things that we're worried about that are not in our circle of uh, influence, but are in our circle of concern we have no control right but what can we control and the and the better question is always well, what can kids control they're just you know what are, what are things in their circle of influence they're just children right there's always something and it's the person looking back at you when you look in a mirror right i control me kids can always control themselves in any circumstance and That's so we talk about that uh and, and again parents need to model that with their children and find a situation that the Kids are aware of what's going on and and, and just do a think-aloud with it. The third highly effective practice is the idea that we use proactive language, right? The words that we choose make a huge difference in, in, in our family life, right? But there's actually research behind language and brain chemistry. Wow. The words that we use can actually change our brain chemistry. If we start using negative and defeative words, "I can't do this," and you know, "this is just happening to me," and there's no choice, and you know, all these types of things, it actually releases uh, chemicals in our brain that can alter our mood uh, and and all kinds of things. But the but the opposite of that is true. That when we use positive language, it opens up our minds to see the possibilities of what we can accomplish. And that actually releases positive endorphins in the brain uh, to lighten your mood and so forth. Uh, And the final um, effective practice that we're going to look at is the idea of becoming a transition person. A transition person is somebody who, by following this habit and these highly effective practices, can help other people transition to becoming more proactive. And that's really ultimately the parent's responsibility, almost their moral obligation for their kids. right? If you are a negative and dour person who thinks the world is going to end and everything makes you angry and there's no, you have, you can't do anything about it. Your kids are going to be the same way, but you can help transition them. And, and by being positive and modeling uh, control and 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 pausing between stimulus and response and using all the positive language, by modeling those things, you can help your children transition uh, into becoming a more proactive person as well. And so I think, With a lot of these things, like I said, like with teachers, it's the inside out approach. Parents have to embrace these habits and their kids will see it. Mm -hmm. They can't just, it can't just be words that you tell your kids, right? You know, do as I say, not as I do.
0: It is throughout the day, choosing on purpose to think what you're gonna say and then do this.
1: It is, um, all of it is is a concerted effort, right? this is something that if you have to choose to do this mm-hmm. it's not going to happen by chance
0: right do you have a story or something that you remember that really lets me know and and all the parents know that you know it's worth it
1: in a classroom like here's a here's a simple one in kindergarten kindergartners are notorious for tattling uh, it's their job to let you know what everybody else is doing in the classroom right and when we started teaching this uh, the kindergarten teachers we're very clear with the kids, be proactive, I'm in charge of me. So as soon as a kid would come up, like let's say they come up, Mrs. Kretz, Mrs. Kretz, so and so, and then the teacher would just say, you know, Trevor, who are you in charge of? And the kid would, the kid would almost, almost in a defeated kind of way because they wanted to tattle, kind of go, I'm in charge of me, uh, and then go back about their business, right? And it really, I mean, just a simple thing like that, like how do you get kids to stop tattling? Teach them how to be proactive. How to. How to yeah, and, and that actually uh, that actually works tremendously well uh, with, with our youngers.
0: It fits right in with their all about me attitude, but it's almost turning it into a way that they're having a strong character, you know, because especially kindergartners, they're very me oriented. Mm-hmm. But I love the way that they change the language to say I'm in charge of me because aren't all kids after power? Aren't all kids after being in control? And in a way, just that very thing empowers them but it also teaches them a character trait true so what's the second one
1: so uh, habit two is um, begin with the end in mind the idea that every creation has a mental creation that precedes a physical creation uh, and then also the idea of creating and living by a personal mission state and so begin with the end of mind is, is is exactly what it sounds like it's just about having an idea of where we're going right i think adults are pretty good with doing that in their work lives but probably less so uh, in their family life, that where they don't necessarily take a second to even consider uh, where do where do you know how do I want my kids to grow? How, what lessons do I want to teach them? That's something that's important because if you don't ever consider it, then you're just left to the whims of life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the other part is that the idea of creating and living by a personal mission statement. And it's, it's it, a personal mission statement is very simply, um, a guiding statement that you read often to remind you of the best version of yourself that you can be. Right. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be uh, complex. It could be a, a poem. It could be a leadership quote. It could be your own, uh, words that you write. But for, I can tell you what mine is. It's very simple. It's be better today than I was yesterday as a husband, a principal, Oh, sorry, a husband, a father, a principal, and friend, right? That's my personal mission statement, right? So no matter what I did yesterday, I'm going to try to get a little bit better today. And if I messed up yesterday, that's okay because I'm going to get better today. And if I had a great day yesterday, let's build on that success, right? And so that's a a statement that I I read, uh, but it helps remind me throughout the day, hey, this is your your mission. Let's get after it. Um, People look at that as uh, how do you want to be remembered at your 80th birthday party? talk about you at your 80th do you want to be known as a a kind and generous friend who's always there for others if that's how you want to be known what do you need to do today you need to be kind you need to be generous and you need to be there for others right that's what the mission statement does It, it takes the best version of us and it reminds us daily do that work well with with families with the seven habits of highly effective families the idea is write a family mission statement okay something that we can do that we're going to collectively agree. And this is a, you know, a task that you'll do with your kids. And it doesn't have to be done in one sitting. Um, depending on the age of your children, a couple sittings is probably appropriate and edit it and so forth. But then go back to it. You know, The Dietrich family is a family that will treat each other with love and respect, uh, putting the needs of others above our, uh, above the, our own something along those lines but it's it's still it needs it's not just writing the mission statement that's important it's living by it. it is reading it daily to remind ourselves of, of who it is that we want to be
0: and that puts them in a completely different frame of mind to say wait a minute I'm writing a legacy here Wait a minute this is my family what do I want it to look like so I love that about writing a mission statement for your family and also I'm sure parents could help it can each write an individual statement and share it with each other.
1: Correct. Now here's, here's the tricky part in families, um, in general with these habits and also I guess now is as good time as any to state it is that these habits are not meant to impugn others. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is if, if parents should absolutely write personal mission statements and and post it so their kids can see if they're modeling it. You should work with your kids to write individual mission statements and then write one collectively for your family. But what you don't do then uh, is go back and, and point it out to other people and say, oh, you know, Cheryl, you put on your mission statement that you were going to be X, Y, and Z, and you're not doing that. That's not what it's about. It's not about impugning others. It's about personal growth. And then collective growth as, as the family,
0: okay. so maybe
1: the parents' job might be not to not to in the, in a moment when the child has, has messed up uh, to to point it out that that's not what's in your mission statement that kind of thing. But maybe you know you go through whatever whatever your discipline routine is, um, the learning opportunity, right? Kids need to learn, um, but then later visit it again with them at night. So you know what? Tomorrow, I know you're going to be back at this, and let's mm-hmm. read let's read it together. It's about giving grace. Rather than using it, you know, rather than using it to um, to punish or to embarrass or to to chide uh, about what's going on, uh, it's about law and gospel, right? At the moment, law is important, but at the end, we need to give, we, we need to have the gospel. We need to let them, let them know um, that it's okay. This is the best version of yourself. You're not going to be that every day, but let's remind ourselves who we wanted to be, so that tomorrow we can get there but you know judge not lest thee be judged i i've become an expert in the habits and a certified trainer and i don't want anybody looking at my life to see if i'm doing them because there's, moment, there's just time when i when you, you know it's it, it's it's a journey we're always working at, on these things uh, you're never really there right
0: no we're lifelong learners so let's move to the third the, the third habit
1: Okay, the third habit, habit three, is um, put first things first. Okay, this concludes the private victory leadership about, you know, about myself. So putting first things first is the, is the habit of prioritization, right? Uh, if we've begun with the end in mind, we know who we want to be. Now we need to do it. Uh, so Cubby talks uh, in a number of different ways. First, he talks about a time quadrant where you have things that are uh, important, in uh, the, the continuum goes to not importance, and then urgent, and the continuum slides to uh, not urgent, right? So there are things in our life, and even for kids, that are urgent and not important, right? We have to do these things, and we call it the whirlwind uh, if you're at work, the whirlwind of family life, right? You got kids going to soccer. You got kids going to softball and dance. And well, horse so
0: there. we hope that can happen again soon. We want that whirlwind to actually well,
1: – Yeah, <laughs> it's been a little boring lately, hasn't it? Um, Yeah, but that's, you know, the whirlwind of life. So in those things, there's really not a lot of ways around it, right? But working on your goals, working on the culture of your family, uh, teaching your kids the skills of leadership is important, but it's never urgent, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you don't specifically put first things first, if you don't plan time in your week to work on your goals, to work on the, the important but not urgent, it won't happen. Right. So he uses an analogy of the big rocks. Right. And you've seen this It's not exclusively a cubby thing, but you've seen this where there's a uh, you have a bowl and it's just full of all these little tiny pebbles. And then on on these bigger stones, you have important things, time spent with with loved ones, uh, exercising, uh, working, you know, doing all these different things that are important. And when you try to put them in, you can't fit them all in the bowl. Right. But if you, were to, if you were to start over and take out all the little stones, put the big ones in first, and then pour the, the pebbles over the top, it all fits, right? And that's the analogy he uses for planning your week, right, which is another of the important, highly effective practices of Habit 3, uh, begin with the uh, – or sorry, put first things first. And that is to plan your week. The week is the perfect amount of time. Families should do this. should plan their week. Um, it's not so long of a, of a period of time that you could put things off and not get things done. But it's also not so short of a period of time as to cause undue anxiety about the stuff that you have to get done, right? So plan your week. And in doing so, put your big rocks in. Put the important but not urgent things in, right? Family meals. Having, you know, breaking bread with your family daily or at least as many times a week as you can is important and it needs to be scheduled into your week. Um, reviewing your mission statement and and, and talk, discussing our leadership um, challenges and triumphs for the week, right? That might be an important thing that families can do, uh, it, but it needs to be scheduled. If you don't have it scheduled, that's not your Wednesday night routine or your, or your Tuesday. It's not going to happen. Time in cars can be scheduled for these types of things, right? If you're driving your kids somewhere uh, every week, turn the radio off, turn the devices off, and that can be scheduled time to work on what's important, but what's not urgent, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the idea of, of putting first things first. We, we begin with the end of mind. We know where we're going to go, and now you got to do it. You got to stay true in the moment of choice, which isn't always
0: easy. The biggest thing that I find that parents come to me and talk to me about is the unknown. You know, how can I plan things with so many things being unknown and then frustration because they don't know. And I think, uh, these first three speak to that because like you said, what you can control is yourself. What you can control is your family and your family culture and the thing, how you speak to yourself and how you plan for your week, whatever that week looks like. And we still have uh, most parents, uh, are looking at normal isn't even gonna look the same way. And the kids are still going to be dealing with a whole bunch of brand new things and brand new uh, situations. And even if they do head back to school, it's gonna look different, different expectations. And I think these first three can strengthen families to be able to get through these hard times. What do you think?
1: Covey was asked if these habits are uh, just as relevant now as when he first wrote them back in 1989 and And what his response was, the greater the challenges that we face in life, the more impactful these habits can be. Oh. We're facing challenges right now that are of epic proportion like we've never had a pandemic like this. We never a school shut down. We've never had so many people unemployed. i mean these are these are challenges that are of untold uh, proportions. So, yeah, these habits now will will be so important as we try to you know, Usher in a new way of living. Um, it's, it's not just reopening things, right? But it's reopening in, in a new uh, a new era. I guess one way to look at it would be to try to take the opposite approach and try to argue against it. Right. And then you'll start to recognize how impactful these can be. Try to argue that it's better to be reactive than proactive. It's better to talk negatively about things than positive. It's better to spend time worrying about stuff you have no control over than staying in in the area that you can't control. It's better to just jump in and do something without thinking about where you want to go. It's better to never think about who you want to be and how you want to be remembered. Just live your life day to day. You can't argue against it in any circumstance, in any culture, in uh, any time and space, these are universal, timeless principles that you can't be can't argue against.
0: I have seen so many parents that have stopped and re-looked at things with a whole new lens because of this uncertainty. And it's caused, I think, if parents were able to embrace these seven habits in their family and things like this, that there will be a level of resilience in our families that we've never seen before because of this pandemic because of these struggles because they can come out some families will come out stronger you know it will be because they implement these types of things
1: i said never waste a crisis
0: (laughs) so we have the first three which are be proactive begin with the end in mind put first things first all right now we're
1: sliding from the private victory which is you know, you don't need anybody in your life to be proactive, to begin with the end of mind and put first things first, right? Families can do it together, but, you know, truly, that's about you. But the now we're moving from the private victory into the public victory. Now it's about how do we lead ourselves when working with other people? But while we, before we do that, in that transition is the idea of the emotional bank account. And this can actually have uh, impacts on families as well so the company talks about the emotional bank account think about it as uh, any bank account where you have deposits and you have withdrawals when working with other people it's important to have kind of a positive balance in any emotional bank account because inevitably i'm going to make a withdrawal and if you're at a zero or negative balance and that you make that withdrawal it causes a lot more hurt than is necessary right so think about if you have a really good friend and that friend and you, you've you've made deposits, and that, that relationship is really solid. If that friend were to do something that would maybe upset you a little bit, it's easy to to brush it off and you move on. It's not a big deal. But somebody who doesn't have that that uh, balance with you, if you will, that same act might really irritate you and might cause uh, a lot more pain. And that's that's you. That's someone coming at you. You're doing the same thing to other people. So you make you make deposits in people's emotional bank accounts with simple acts of kindness. Uh, kind words, speaking somebody's love language, right? Which is a whole nother uh, podcast on that. But also um, here's one staying loyal to those not present. Those mm. so parents, are we modeling bad talk about those who aren't around? Cause here, here's what happens. And I, I'll be fair. I don't know if this happens in a family as much, but it does in your workplace. If I'm, if I'm talking to you negatively about somebody else, there's just always going to be a thought in the back of your head. What does he say about me when I'm not around? And so by, in that way you're making a withdrawal, but if you're always one who's just lifting people up, whether they're there or not, you're making deposits all over the place. Right? right? And that's, and so families need to understand that families should figure out what is a deposit for each person, right? That's kind of where the love languages come in. What does each person want? A simple way to look at it is the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule,
0: right? Uh-huh. Okay.
1: So the golden rule, do unto others as you would ha- want them to do unto you. But there's a platinum rule, which is do unto others what they would want done unto them. Oh, wow. Okay, so let me give you an example of that with um, with my wife and I, okay? So I grew up, in, uh, I have an identical twin brother, and a father and the three of us were, were personalities were, were very much alike, uh, where sarcasm and digs uh, at each other and, and these body comments is just our norm. Like this, this is you know how, who we are and it doesn't, it's how we like to, to enjoy each other's company, right? So if I were to treat my wife the way I like to be treated, which is that way, being sarcastic with her, she would hate it. My wife hates sarcasm. She doesn't like that kind of stuff, right? So. I need to love her and to to treat her the way she wants to be treated, which is not use that kind of tone or language with her. Right. And so that's what we need to do with our families. Each person in the family may have a different deposit, a different love language, a different way that they, you know, maybe mom, it's acts of service so we can do the dishes for her. You know, maybe dad, it's um, quality time. And we want to spend some quality time with them. Maybe the kids need need a hug, and their theirs their love language might be touch, something like along those lines. But but families need to spend time. What is a deposit in your emotional bank account so that I can purposely try to do that? Yeah. So that comes between the private victory and the public victory. Because now we're adding other people into our leadership, uh, and so we need to consider that that part of it. Okay. So the public victory is habits four, five, and six. Habit four: think win win. This is the, the uh, habit of mutual benefit of, uh, of abundance mentality, right? Habit five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. This is the habit of empathic listening, right? And then respectfully being understood. And then habit six, synergize. This is the result that we get. So these habits, unlike the first three, which we kind of went one, one by one, these, habit, these habits a little bit go a little bit more hand in hand. Right. So let me do all three. and We'll talk about what it might look like in a family. So habit four, think win-win. This is an attitude of abundance. There's enough to go around. I don't have to get mine um, so that you don't get yours. That's kind of what it is. This habit can be used in, in uh, conflict resolution, right? Because the, there's, there's differences. You have win-win, but, but you also have then win-lose or lose-win, which would be in one person kind of giving up what they need or want. For somebody else or lose-lose which is what a compromise is and that's different. a compromise for a long time had this had a real positive connotation behind it right but a compromise truly is a lose-lose i'll give up a little bit of what i want you give up a little bit of what you want and we'll both be okay with it and we'll move on okay that's that's lose-lose it takes courage and consideration to take the time necessary to find a third alternative and that's the win-win agreement right what is it that what is it that you want what is it that i want and how can we come up with it? so parents when you're when you're working with your kids there's going to be win-win agreements i'm 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 not look, looking at little kids now i'm thinking about teenagers right and and that's a, oh boy that's a as a parent of um well only two teens now because one of them's uh turn 20. Um, but I've been through it and it's it's been rough, uh, to be fair. Um, but these, the idea of a win-win agreement is going to come up often when it comes to kind of the freedom and responsibility that teenagers crave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we, as parents... Dread in a lot of ways because we don't believe that they're ready to make good choices or or, or what have you So how can you come up with a win-win agreement? How can we let the kids kind of get what they need while we're still getting what we need Which is this assurance that our child is going to be safe and they're going to come home at the end of the night Right, and I don't have an answer I'm not going to tell you exactly what that's going to look like in each home But have an open discussion about it with your child. Okay When your when your kid asks you to go I want to go to this little party uh, and so forth. It's not simply a no. It's like, let's discuss this. Let's see if we can't come up with a win win agreement. Here's my needs I need to know that there's going to be a parent or adult at that party. I need to be assured that you're not going to be drinking alcohol at that party and that you're going to be home at a particular time. What is it that you need out of that party? You know, the kid might say something along the lines of, I need to be, you know, with my friends and, and, and socially be able to hang out. I need to have some freedom to be out of the house later than I normally would be, you know, whatever their needs are. And you might be able then to come up with a win-win agreement. Okay. I'm going to drop you off at the party. I won't go in and embarrass you, but maybe you can get me the parent's phone number ahead of time so that I can call just to assure that they're there. Right. And then, and then I'll pick you up to make sure that even if you, if there was some alcohol there, that you're going to get home safely. Right. There's ways to come up with win-win agreements. And that's one caught example. It could be about anything. It could be about the chores that need to be done around the house right I need as a parent I need some help and you live here don't be a freeloader as a kid as a kid I don't want to do any chores I want to play my Xbox and do other things okay but you but we need what are your needs what are my needs and let's let's see if we can't come to that's a win-win agreement habit five then which is, is the habit of empathic listening is seek first to understand then to be understood right empathic that's listening is this one what's that
0: that's my favorite one I love this one
1: that's your, well, you're you're a counselor. You're a good listener.
0: In counseling, though, you to dig into that with a student is it's it's just my sweet spot right there.
1: <laughs> well, maybe you can speak to it then, because this is the one I struggle with. Uh, too often, I have people. You know, as a principal of an elementary school, I you know people come across uh, my desk with with needs all the time, and I listen w- almost with the intent to reply. Mm. I, I you know you might come to me, Cheryl, with it with an issue. I a few sentences into what you're saying, I pretty much have, I know what you're gonna say, I have the issue, and now even though you're still talking, I'm formulating my response. And immediately by doing so, I've lost an opportunity to understand where you're coming from, to understand the emotion behind it, the connectedness that you might have to a particular issue, um, because I'm not seeking first to understand. I don't need to reply. I don't need to come up with the right answer. Uh, I just need to be in the moment. I need to be present with you so that you can share exactly what it is. Now, at the end of that, I can I can then respectfully be understood. It's, it is a two-part habit, right? Seek first, but then to be understood. You still get to be understood. You're, it's not about losing your voice entirely. It's just that our relationships with other people can be so much more powerful if we take a second to listen empathically, uh, trying to put ourselves in their shoes to understand. Sometimes people just wanna be heard. There's not, they don't even want a solution. They don't even want you to respond. Just listen to me, hear me out. And parents, this is a tough one. We might catch our kids doing some breaking one of our family rules or whatever it is, and we're gonna come down and we're gonna punish them, and, that, and that's what's important right now, right? And the kids are just trying to talk. Shut your mouth! And, you know, we, this is the type, type of response that we might give. Sometimes we we need to take the time to listen to our children, even though they're children, right? Maybe maybe something happened at school that, that day that has completely thrown them off, and they're in, in an emotional state that caused them to lash out. Maybe maybe there's been ongoing issues. Maybe they're being bullied at school. Maybe they've had a, a relationship breakup or something going on. If we don't take a minute to understand our kids, why should they take a minute to understand us, right? So again, we have to model this behavior. So going back now, we have think-win-win. It's an attitude. Uh, seek first to understand the medicine is a skill. And if we combine the attitude with the skill, we get the results, which is habit six, synergize. And that the idea of synergy is that together is better, right? With a family is not a collective sum of its parts. It's not a family is synergy. It's be, every everybody is better off because I'm in this family, right? So uh, you know, you think about it in the in the workplace. One person might have an idea about uh, how to, an idea how to fix something by speaking that idea. Now, someone else might be able to build on an idea and a third person, and we just start bouncing ideas off of each other to the point where we come up with this amazing solution that's going to help grow our company by leaps and bounds. Not one person could have done that alone. Well, families might be the same way. You know, uh, where are you going on vacation? Well, dad's got his, you know, dad wants to go to Vegas. Mom wants to go uh, to the beach. Um, but if, if we don't take a minute to synergize and to bounce ideas off of each other, um, you know, we'll ne- we're robbing ourselves of what could have been the best vacation ever um, that everybody contributed to wanting to go to.
0: Parents need to choose to find a balance between communicating with their kids and are they telling them or are they asking them, are they saying this is how things are or are they explaining how this is going to benefit them as a family?
1: Yeah, and ultimately, let's go back to like our begin with the end in mind, which was as parents, how do we teach our kids 21st century skills of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. So when you when you get to this, you know these habits of the public victory of four, five, and six, it's still about teaching, right? So I'm giving out ideas of how it might look in your family, but it's also going back to that metacognition, talking about it, explaining to your kids, you know what synergy is and why it's so important. You know you can think of music. Music is all about synergy, right? You got rhythm and melody and harmony, and each one alone is great. But together, you've got something beautiful. Sports teams, same way, right? Individual players are important, but it's the team, it's the collection. And how? And what does that look like? When if they're if the kids find themselves in leadership positions you know, at school or on a sports team or whatever, is is, a, is embracing differences? I need to value value difference. Covey actually says if two people have the same opinion, one is not necessary. I don't know if he means one person is not necessary or one of the opinions is not necessary.
0: that, yeah, that that's to be argued, I guess.
1: <laughs> but it's but it's true, right? We need to. This is cal, you know um, California, the United States, the world—it's a melting pot, and people are so different. And you know, look at what's going on in our world—is because people don't value the fact that people are different. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my my viewpoint and stuff, but I'm going to grow hearing other people's viewpoints and and valuing the fact that you're different than I am and I I could see the world in a different way because of you we need to stop teaching our kids that different is bad 200 years of racism is coming to a head teach our kids that value the fact that the person sitting next to you is not you because if the world was all you that would suck
0: that would be a very boring place so let's begin to appreciate each other and appreciate your differences
1: yeah, so habit seven is actually the habit that kind of surrounds them all. It's called sharpen the saw. It's the habit of balance and renewal. So sharpen the saw is a funny phrase, but it literally, think of it literally, right? If you were cutting a piece of wood with a saw and the saw was dull, it would take you a really long time to be very ineffective at doing it. If you were to then stop and take a second to sharpen the saw, you'd be able to get through that wood much more effect. The same thing is true about us. We're the only tool that we have to navigate this world right and so we need to take time to sharpen the saw and you do that in four ways your body mind heart and soul so with your body and this and, and, and believe me these are things families could and should do together but with your body do we eat right do we exercise do we get plenty of sleep that's how we sharpen the saw talk to your family or to your children about that model Good behaviors of eating and exercise. Go for a family walk. Make sure everybody's in bed at a decent time, not just the children, but the parents too. This is how we keep our body sharp, our mind. We need to keep that sharp by learning new things, right? embracing uh, a growth mindset and continuous improvement. Do you read in front of your kids? Or do you just expect them to read in front of you? You need to model, model these good behaviors. If your kids are reading, grab a book and read with them. Grab the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families and read that. Grab, uh, even if it's fiction, and just something for enjoyment. Uh, read a book and do it with your kids. If you're in remote learning, you know learn something new. Embrace that with your kids and model for them what are you learning that's new, okay? The other part would be then your heart. How do you sharpen the soul with your heart? Your heart is with, by spending time with love. It's with each other, obviously, and you can talk about that. Today, we're gonna spend quality time together. Maybe it's going and visit visiting grandma. These are ways that we can sharpen the soul when it comes to our heart, right? It's, it's a, about how do we love and, and spread love into the world, and that's how we do it with the heart. And the last one is with your soul. How do you sharpen the saw with your soul? Now, spiritually, as a, as a person of faith, this is what we're come, going to church and spending time in prayer and worship comes in. But it doesn't have to be. This doesn't matter if you are or not a person of faith. Um, you can still sharpen the saw with your soul by spending quiet time in meditation and thoughtful reflection, maybe going for a walk in nature and, and just appreciating uh, the magnificence that is around us. All four areas are equally important. All four areas help keep the only instrument we'll ever have ourselves sharp and acting at our peak. And certainly all four can be done as a family. This might be the easiest habit to do together. I agree. So that's the seven habits. That's how we can truly say that all kids can be leaders, that all people can be leaders, because everybody can grow and become more effective Right there's a promise. This is a Seven Habits promise. If you practice one habit today, you will see improvements in whatever area. Right. If you practice all seven, it's a lifetime journey of of towards primary greatness of working on that character ethic of making yourself a better person and, and in turn making the world a better place. And embracing this as a family is just an amazing uh, idea, amazing adventure. And I just want to encourage everybody: uh, just do it.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be talking more about this to my listeners. And if I get feedback because they love to email me, I encourage them to talk to me about what's going on. I want to forward the successes to you if that's all right, because just so you can know that there are families out there that are looking towards being their best self. And um, I just want to thank you so much for taking this time to come here and just really lay out what it means to follow the seven habits. Um, Is there anything else that you think that parents could do? Where should they go? What book should they get? Anything they can do to continue this journey?
1: Well, The the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, written by uh, Stephen Covey, is one. All right, two other books I think that would be very helpful for kids. It's going to depend on their age. So if you have younger children in in elementary school, there's a book of The Seven Habits of Healthy Kids. And this is written by uh, Sean Covey, and it uses woodland creatures and little characters to kind of illustrate the habits and in some in some fun interactive stories and then if you have teenagers and and please I, I do recommend i have read this one waiting till their teen their teenage years is uh the seven habits of highly effective teens now all of these are the same habits it's just different stories that illustrate the habits and the teen one really does hit the mark uh it it talks about as a teenager, what do you do when your parents are making you mad and upset, and you can't stand them? You know, what do you do in, in your dating life? Right? He talks about if you know, begin with the end of mind. If you wait till the moment of choice when it comes to several different topics, and you get what I mean, if you wait till the moment of choice to choose, it's too late, right? So the the habits for teenagers is an excellent read um, for for kids that are, are in adolescence and starting to experience these things. So there's lots of different versions of this. Uh, book that that could help uh, with your leadership journey.
0: Thank you. So is there any last thing that you would like to say to parents?
1: What we've shared today is is hard to argue against, Uh, but there is a, one of the highly effective practices of put first things first is stay true in the moment of choice. So let's say you listen to this podcast and you've been inspired and you believe this is the right thing to do as it is with your family and with your children. I want to just encourage everybody, stay true in the moment of choice, right? If you've begun with the end in mind and you envision a better family life because you've spent time focusing on these habits and how you can grow leadership in in everybody in your family, stay true in the moment of choice. When it comes to it, if you've said you're going to do X, Y, or Z, do it. You won't regret it.
0: The names of all of those books that Dr. Dietrich mentioned is going to be in the show notes. And you get to the show notes just by scrolling straight down underneath this podcast. There you'll find the names of the books as well as so much more information about how you can enrich your family. Do you remember what the seventh habit was? It was sharpen the saw. It's all about sharpening the body, sharpening the mind, and sharpening the heart. Sharpen the body by staying fit and healthy. And I want to let you know that my very favorite at home workouts are found at MixyFit.com. And MixyFit.com is the sponsor of the show. I'm so excited about that. And what that means is if you go to MixyFit.com, M I X I E F I T, at checkout, you'll get a special discount if you use my code. And the code is FOCUSED mindset sharpening your heart is also so important and there's a group of you guys that are right now going through the Big Life Journal with your kids and I want to take a minute to draw your attention to page 59 in that book it's called be grateful and if you guys are beginning to implement the seven habits in your family and you get to sharpen the saw I would recommend that you would use that activity to help strengthen their ability to sharpen their heart. All right, so it's coming to the end of episode 14. You guys, I wanna thank you so much for helping this podcast grow, and share this with somebody that you think could use this information. Share it now. And hop over to my website, www.thefocusedmindset.com if you want more information to sign off. Get out there, guys, and use these seven habits to help strengthen your family. And until next time, keep in touch and take care.